It's been an incredible journey that you've had, but were there any other options? Or was it purely motorsport in your head? Or did you think, I could be an astronaut, I could be a postman? Like, was there anything else that interested you out there? I believe I have enough uh, driving skills to be a postman, so I could... Very quick one. I could do this job as well, but uh, of course I really targeted to be a professional driver. My grandfather who taught me to drive, he was taking me to most of my sort of uh, motorbike trials competitions when I was a youngster. And he's always asking, he knows more behind the scenes stuff than I do. And I'm there, he'll send me a text midweek saying, oh, have you just seen who's moved where and who's been testing where and that someone's been driving on a cart track and they're like, oh, what? So he's a total fan then. Yeah, yeah, total fanboy. Welcome everyone to WRC Backstories, our exclusive WRC podcast presented by Bex Williams. Hello everyone, welcome to WRC Backstories. Good to have you along for another episode. I've been enjoying making each and every one of these podcasts, getting to know more about the people who make up the WRC, but maybe this one is nudging to be my favourite so far. As we all know, the world is in a state of flux still, and our sport, plus every other sport, had been put on hold. It was great to finally hear the news last week that the championship would resume in September, kicking off with Rally Estonia. It felt like a bit of normality was coming back, and I have to say I did do a little bit of a dance when I saw the calendar in front of me in the flesh. I've missed commentating, I've missed interviewing, I've missed everything about the championship. I'm not the only one, as Twitter was alight with everyone chatting all things WRC. I absolutely loved that. Given that now is a busy time of preparation ahead of the season resuming, I was thrilled that M Sport boss Malcolm Wilson agreed to give up some of his precious time to chat with me. On the eve of the calendar being announced, we sat down at opposite ends of the country, connected by the wonders of technology. I had the perfect view into his famous office in Cumbria, and Malcolm could see my hastily tidied living room. Not so great for him, but I had a brilliant view. And it seems that this is the new normal right now. To be honest, an hour wasn't enough. And I feel like we will revisit Malcolm's story in the future and focus on various aspects in more detail. Consider this a starter and a very tasty one at that. As I've said many times before, getting to know people, especially in the strange and weird times we find ourselves in in lockdown, is an interesting one. We've heard from drivers, co-drivers, engineers so far, but we're going right to the powerhouse of WRC now to talk to a man who's been and done it all. There isn't anything he hasn't accomplished within the sport, and that is Malcolm Wilson, or Sir Malcolm Wilson, as we should call him these days. He joins me on the line now from the M Sport base in Cumbria. Malcolm, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Um, obviously, as you can imagine, with my whole life been uh, in rally, uh, it's the longest period I've ever been probably at home. It's the longest period I've ever that I've never been to an event. So, um, and of course, all the difficulties that go with the situation that we're currently in, with having you know over 200 staff on furlough, and unfortunately, 
having to make a, a lot of people redundant as well. It's, it's uh, certainly anything but a pleasant time, should we say. Yeah, it's extremely tough times. And, you know, we've never experienced anything like this in our lifetime before with something that has affected the whole world. And it really has. It's kind of hard to get your head around in a way. Yeah, it is. And the, the trouble is, I mean, you know, when it all kicked off, we thought, OK, I mean, originally, yeah, I thought, right, well, I can sustain a month. And, you know, hopefully the, the thing will be over and we can carry on. And then you suddenly realise that, gosh, this is going to be longer. And then, then you sort of start looking at the furlough for the staff. Um, and then, of course, it change, everything's changing on a daily basis. You know, you just need every day there's, there's some news that's so disappointing for obviously for so many people you know if you think what happened yesterday with the easy jet and airbus and other things and uh, the, tr the thing that obviously is concerning me is you know i don't even know what's going to be at the end of it um, mm. i have to say you know fortunately from the business side we are starting to see a little bit of interest and certainly not with people buying cars but certainly uh, people are starting to buy spares um, whereas we had a period there in sort of April where literally, you know, we, we, we didn't sell anything. Yeah, really tough times. But we right now are going to put all of those worries and concerns on the shelf because we are getting to know Mr. Malcolm Wilson. And firstly, I want to start off with this might be a difficult question. Some find this difficult. I don't think you're going to. I want you, Malcolm, to describe yourself in three words. <laughs> Common reaction. <laughs> Do you know what? Those are the ones I would pick. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. Come on, though, seriously, how would you describe yourself? Um, hugely determined. You are indeed hugely determined. You've got one more, actually, that's two. Yeah, that two will have to do you. <laughs> All right, I'll take two. You have to be hugely determined to where you've got in life, but I want to take you right back to the early years of Malcolm Wilson when you were running about in little shorts and T-shirts. What were you like as a young lad, Malcolm? You know, going back to those days when you were in early school, did you have such a determination, such a drive, such an ambition as, as you have done for the majority of your life? Or were you a little scamp? Uh, uh, I did a little scamp and a lot of skiving. <laughs> and did a lot of, a lot of servicing of teachers' cars and the school minibus and anything to avoid going to school. So, You're kidding. Uh, you serviced the school minibus, really? Yeah, I did. And a lot of the teachers' cars as well. Did that get you extra so, credit? No. <laughs> Because obviously I was missing class time, so it, it definitely didn't get me extra credit. Um, no, I don't think, I, I mean, I never ever in, in my wildest dreams imagined that, um, that I would be, be able to be a, a reasonable, successful driver or anything like that. I mean, I used to, you know, I, I learned to drive at a very early age, at eight years old. I was very fortunate that we had a, uh, my parents had a car breaker's yard, so. I could uh, get all the old cars that came in and I learned to drive at, a, as I said, eight-year-old. And then um, the motorsport thing just happened by local guys coming in to get spares and tires from us. And uh, so I got the opportunity to sit in the back of a rally car, I think it was 10-year-old or something like that. 
Wow. Uh, and to be, to be honest, I got that's how I got the bug. And then from then on, uh, it's all I ever really wanted to do. Um, and I used to obviously then, you know, go with other other people, service even a bit long before I could drive and any quarter tests or quarter cross in those days you could drive when I was sort of 12, 13, 14. Um, so that's, I did anything that I possibly could with, you know, in, in motorsport at that time. So, um, yeah, and of course, it's all I ever wanted to do. So there was no one from the family who was from a motorsport background? No, but in fairness, you know, we, we all got introduced to motorsport at the same time mm -hmm. uh, because of, of it, because of our business. Um, and then, of course, my mum, uh, first thing she did was she got me to go to navigation classes. So I used to navigate basically until, uh, until I was old enough to drive. As I said, I drove on any events that I could, but um, I, know I did the odd... Um, special stage when I probably shouldn't have done in those early days long before I was 17 because a lot of the time I even sort of built my own cars even before I was old enough to drive so I'd have other people drive them but then if there was ever an opportunity then um, I took that opportunity to grab it with both hands as you can imagine um, yeah so Obviously, like you say, you, you were in the navigator's seat until you were old enough to, to legally get behind the wheel. Did you not want to pursue a, a co-driving career? Was it always going to be the driver? Oh, no, no chance. I always wanted to be, I always wanted to be behind the wheel. Um, yeah, that was always the, the target. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed um, the navigating a lot, but um, I, it's... I mean, the thing is a crazy thing, but in, in one sense, we used to do a lot of the national rallies as a, as a navigator. And I know I shouldn't say this, but to be honest, I used to look forward to sort of breaking down in the middle of Kielder somewhere, and then the service crew coming in to fix the car, and then the driver would then let me drive out of the, the, the forest after we'd retired. So, you know, that, was, that meant more to me, to be honest, than, uh, than probably navigating at the time. And, you know, as I said, I just got... I just couldn't believe once we retired in Kielder Forest and I got the chance to drive out like 14 or 15 miles of Kielder. It was just, you know, when you were 14 year old or whatever it was, it was just an incredible feeling. And I, I'm expecting it wasn't a leisurely drive out of the forest with you behind the wheel. No, um, yeah, I've always been pretty committed. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to and hear. So lots of action, and lots of accidents, as you know. <laughs> I know. I, I was having a look back, actually, at the full career rundown before we started the call. Uh, but we'll, we'll come to that. T tell me when you, you first got, you know, into competition properly as a driver. When was that? What car was that? Um, well, as even autocrossing, I did. Um, I mean, I even remember um, we had a... Uh, a rolled Mini Cooper came into the breakers yard. Um, so basically just um, repaired it so that you could literally go and do an autocross. Mm. And I remember going to do an autocross and I think I'd be probably 14 year old or something like that. Um, I'll never forget because I went and I, I, uh, I, got, I had fastest time of the day and the, the prize was uh, five gallons of Duffman's oil. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, the, the competition and the spirit was there right from an early age. And then uh, the first 
rally that I did was uh, was obviously when I was 17. Mm. The very first stage rally that I did, um, I finished 13th overall and again won the class on my very first rally and rolled on the last stage, but still managed to win the class as well. So, um, yeah, I suppose I had, you know, success early on as well. And your parents were fully behind you then, fully supportive of this career in motorsport or were they pushing you to do more in school? Um, no, in fairness, they were, they've always been, they were always tremendous support for the, for the motorsport side. And, you know, it, it ended up, that my mum ended up, she ended up navigating as well. And my dad ended up navigating and doing the odd rally as a driver. So, um, yeah, rallying became a, a big part of, uh, of the family sort of life. And of course, then, you know, because of what we were doing, then the, the, the business side for me, I mean, you know, I started my business in 1979. We've been in business now 40 mm-hmm. years. So even from an early age, I'd, I'd always been involved in the business side, which I always enjoyed that. And uh, probably, you know, if you look back now, uh, I never realized until I'm doing what I'm doing now, sort of running the whole thing. But you know, there's lots of people told me when I was uh, driving that, look, you know, you can't do both things, Malcolm. You can't run a business and be a top-line driver. But of course, when you're a cumbering and determined as I was, I always felt, you know, when you're 30 years old, you feel you can take on the world, you can do everything. Mm. But it's only now when I'm doing what I'm doing that realise that what the likes of, you know, Sebastian and these, all the top-line drivers put into it, then... Um, for sure, it, 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 I had some, don't get me wrong, I had some great results, and, but I never achieved what pro- I probably could have done. Um, and you could probably put that down to the fact that I was trying to run a business and, and drive. So, um, yeah, didn't achieve the results that I wanted to. But then on the other hand, if I'd done that, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. So, to be honest, I've had far more satisfaction out of doing what I'm doing now than, than anything I ever did as a driver. When you look back to your driving career, what would you say was the absolute highlight for you from it all? I had some, I mean, you know, like, like the success that we've had running the team, there was a lot of moments, but um, probably the, I mean, the, one of the best results I had was the, the, the RSE rally in 1993 when we finished third mm-hmm. uh, with all the, the factory, the first Ford, you know, beat the factory cars. Um, as a private team, that was when we were sponsored by Michelin Pilot. So that was an incredible achievement. But I also had some, you know, great results as well with, with GM. I had some great times with them driving the, the uh, Astra Stroke Cadet. Um, and then, of course, other things that gave me a lot of satisfaction was winning things like the Mobile Challenge against, the, you know, the likes of Stig and Pentium. Uh, okay, it wasn't a rally, but it was quite satisfying to... <laughs> You beat them, huh? You know, beat them in a shootout in a direct, you know, all the same equal equipment. Because you competed with such a great lineup of names now when we look back. And what was it like at the time, especially in the the heyday of it all? Was there big rivalries? Um, I wouldn't say there was big rivalry. I mean, I think there was great great camaraderie between everybody it was mm. um you, you, you know everybody would sort of help in and if it was a, a situation you needed spares or if i didn't have something then you could 
you could go to somebody else and you'd get the spares and or if the factory team was there they would they would come and help you and um so yeah it was a a real sort of it was competitive don't get me wrong because obviously you know i was trying to get to where i wanted to be so, yeah but then on the other but then on the other hand as i said there was a great spirit between everybody when was the shift in your mind then that led you to concentrate fully on the business rather than the driving career? Would you say there was a moment that there was a shift, a year, or, or did it just become a gradual thing? No, I've always, I've always had goals, to be honest, Bex. I mean, I, mean I, I, I made my mind a long, long time before I'd even thought about stopping but I'd always said that I would stop at uh, 40 year old whether whatever I'd achieved whether I'd achieved what I wanted or, or I hadn't I, I always had that that in mind that that would be the day and then of course I you know I had my business to fall back on fortunately <clears throat> uh, whereas a lot of the other drivers they didn't have that as I say mm. I, w- I wouldn't swap it now <clears throat> because I've you know I, I've uh, been able to stay involved in the sport so um that's that's been a positive side of it definitely so malcolm wilson motorsport turns into m sport and an incredible deal with ford how did that come about malcolm i want to know how that happened it's a long story how long have you got (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it all started in in 1996 um I think Ford were looking to outsource the um, the rally program, um, and I was approached um, because we'd had at that point in time, sort of '93 to '95, as Malcolm Wilson Motorsport, we'd won I think it was 11 sort of regional championships around the world. You know, I won the British Championship with Mohammed bin Salem winning the Middle East, and the Italian Championship with Jolly Club, and things like that. So we'd had a a really good three years of success as a private as a private team and of course I was then still doing the majority of the testing for Ford on the escort Cosworth as well um, so I was approached uh, and uh, basically it was, I thought it was all going ahead and then obviously there's a lot of people thought, you know said well look when it got to the highest level I think this, a lot of people felt it's not possible to to run a factory world rally team from from the Lake District, from our part of the world, um, which obviously, again, my determination, I felt that it was possible. Yeah. But, uh, so it was knocked on the head, and then then they approached me again. I think it was around April or May time, and um, said, "Would I look towards moving and running the thing from Borum down where where the current base was?" Um, and in, I, I, in, in all honesty, I did agree terms to, to do that. Um, and then it's probably, I think there's only two things I've reneged on in my life. Uh, and then one Sunday night, I was talking with Elaine, and then I uh, just decided that um, I wasn't going to do it. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I had to sort of, that was a really, really difficult decision because I thought, well, if I turn this down, that's it. I'm never, ever going to get the chance again. And of course, you know, it, it, it could have been advantageous as well because I still had my business and the guys could have carried on running in this part of the world. Um, but I just somehow felt that, you know, I mean, it wasn't right. So on the Monday morning, um, 
I sort of made the call and said, look, sorry, uh, I've decided to change my mind. And um, I thought that would be the end of it. I'd never, you know, I'd have to carry on with Malcolm with some sport and do, do whatever I could do, which is what we did for a while. And then I think it was around September time that year, then Martin Whitty came back um, um, because then we'd had, what happened was that we'd gone to Finland with um, Yamo Kaitaleto and Harry Rovanpera. Mm-hmm. And we finished on the podium uh, with Yamo Kaitaleto finished third. And of course, Carlos, I think, was sixth and Bruno Thierry was eighth or tenth or something like that in the factory cars. So we uh, beat the factory cars. So that, um, I think then that gave for the confidence. That must have been very satisfying, Malcolm. Yeah, it was. As you can imagine, it was a it was a great moment because I mean it was our best result as a well apart from me, you know, me finishing third on the RAC, but certainly from the operational point of view. Um, mm. So um, that was then negotiation started again, and to be honest, I just I was still sceptical. Could it really? Would it really happen? Um, and then literally, I think it was. Um, I think it was the Monday before RSC rally uh, that we had a. Um, it was we had a, a rally forum somewhere down near London, uh, the Ford dealer, um, and it had it had been agreed. But I I just thought, well, I'm I'm never going to believe it until I've got the the press release in my in my hand. So I actually turned up at this um, uh, rally forum and actually got the press release and um, you can imagine how uh, how i felt i mean i just don't know how i stayed composed on the on the forum that evening because <laughs> you know this was a, a massive moment in my in my life um, yeah and the thought of at that point in time i had 18 employees and i'm thinking i'm gonna have to go to monte carlo and i'm gonna need probably around about 100 people before you know you're thinking about gravel crews anything like that so i was you know i was so excited but obviously there was a lot of fear there as well and it's, it's very sad actually because obviously martin holmes has just died but martin holmes was at this actual rally forum yeah and um literally about 10 or 15 minutes after i'd got the press release in my pocket which was going to go out the next day martin holmes um, because he knew there was issues within uh, within ford and he you know he so he was asking me the question you know what do you think is ever going to happen? When are they, when is Ford ever going to outsource that program? And, you know, you should be doing it or you think you'll never get the chance to do it. And I've stood there and I thought, if I could just show you this press release, you know. Um, and then, of course, the next day it was all released. And um, uh, that next morning I travelled back up home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told Elaine to get literally everybody um, in our conservatory when I arrived back, the 18 people that we had working for us at the time. Um, and then afterwards, I, you know, you hear some of the feedback that some of the guys had thought, oh, we were going to get the sack, we thought I was going to close the business down or something like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, I opened a bottle of champagne and, and sprung the news to them because I'd li- literally, because of what had gone before in the fact that we were going to get it and then it went away and then the fact mm. that I was going to go to things so literally nobody knew other than myself and Elaine and obviously the people within Ford 
So, because um, I just wanted to make sure that this time that, you know, it was absolutely concrete and it cast in stone. So, um, yeah, it was a massive shock. And I have to tell you from then until Monte Carlo, um, there was not a lot of sleep and there was a lot of hours worked and right through over Christmas, New Year. So how long was that period? How long from knowing, from getting, let's say, the signed uh, contract to Monte Carlo, for, for leaving for Monte Carlo? Yeah, it um, was around seven or eight weeks. Weeks? Yeah, if you think about <laughs> oh it. Was, well, yeah, RSC used to be sort of last, latter end of November, and then Monte Carlo is the latter end of January, so it was yeah, seven or eight weeks. Wow. That and is I a heck of a turnaround. It, yeah, I mean, it was. And I mean, yeah, we went with, I think it was looking at the schedule. I think it was just over 100 people, including gravel crews and weather and doctors and everything from Monte Carlo. So it was, yeah, quite a difficult. And of course, it was with a Escort World Rally Car. It was a new car that Borum had done, but obviously all the testing hadn't been finished or things like that. So it was, it was an incredible amount of work. Mm. And obviously very, very rewarding when, you know, Carlos almost came very close to win the rally. He finished second. I think Armin was sixth. So we had a great start. Um, yeah. Tell me about the reaction of the drivers then, Carlos Sainz in particular, to hearing that, you know, a relatively small at that time, Malcolm Wilson Motorsport, which became M Sport, of course, would be taking over the running of the Ford World Rally Team programme. What was the reaction from him? that a, a group from Cumbria, from a little town in Cumbria, tell me, I can imagine it was an interesting one. <laughs> I think you maybe better ask Carlos that, <clears throat> because when he arrived, obviously we had, um, uh, we didn't have probably what he was expecting, because as you could, as you, as you could probably remember, the business at that point in time was run from my house. Yeah. And we, we converted all the, the farm buildings and everything into workshops. So um, the first meeting we had when they arrived, obviously, was, was in the house. So no offices or anything like that in the house. And, uh, of course, Carlos being Carlos um, didn't really um, acknowledge Elaine much, should we say, on the, on the first uh, visit. And she could hear how hard Carlos has been on me. I need this, I need that. And then she said, give it back, give it back. I, I, don't, I don't want it, just give the program back if this is what it's going to be like. But um, I think everybody knows then that, you know, Carlos and I ended up having a fantastic relationship. Don't get me wrong, we had some very difficult moments early on because I was mm. determined how I wanted to do it and what I wanted to do with the car because, you know, technically, and I lived with the car from the very first escort because of the, the run. So I, I felt I had a really good and strong ideas what I wanted from the car and um, obviously Carlos had been used to what he'd been used to but um, I think after you know three or four events he realized that um, what we were you know the direction that we wanted to go and then of course we had the great one two on Acropolis in 96 um, and yeah it just the relationship then to be honest just went from strength to strength and your company grew and grew, became bigger, more successful. You're taking on more people. There's more responsibility there. But as you said, you kind of always wanted this effectively to be the business side of it. 
you were still competing though at the time as well there were events that you were doing um well i stopped my last rally was 95 rfc so i didn't really do honest, i didn't have any time to do anything after uh, once we got the full contract that was for sure um so no i i mean okay i've done the odd local thing or something like that but, yeah um no i mean uh, to be honest the main focus you know had to be on uh, on on wrc when you look back at that period now those early days building everything up I mean, everyone has, you know, regrets that they have it, being them big or small. Would, is there anything you would have done differently? Probably, uh, to be honest, no, probably not. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm really proud of the way that we have done everything. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was difficult when we were designing and developing the new Focus because we, we took a place down at Millbrook Proving Ground um, to be nearer basically for, uh, from that point of view. And then of course, I was also then, we purchased Dovan B, so I was in the middle of pulling all that together and mm. also doing the new car and, and then running the WRC program. So to be honest, if I look back now, I think, I look back and think, how did it ever, ever cope with, you know, pulling everything together? Um, but again, I have no um, no regrets, and to be honest, I don't really think um, I'd do anything different. Uh, you know those those times and the focus, and I, I remember vividly um, watching on TV. There was a a brilliant advert for the focus, which was based on Jimmy McRae, Colin McRae, an older, younger version of both, and being so fueled up by that. You know something. Go on. You know something. There was another young member also in that advert and he's just sat right opposite me now. Who's that? Matthew. Matthew. Was he in that? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I'm going to have to look at that again. Yeah. Yeah, to... Colin, it was Colin, put, Colin put the cap on his head. No. Yeah, that's Matthew. Right. I'm going to have to have a good look at that advert again, all over again to see that. You know, we put you out... Are, oh, I am. Just a spot, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Matthew Wilson. Um, we put out some questions on social media for you and a lot came back about, obviously, Colin McRae and what it was like to work with him and how you got him to get into the focus. Was there a big story behind that? Uh... There was a lot of negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> I can well imagine there was. And I mean, you're... And it was, but you're it, but... Do you know something? And it, and it was always two onto one, Colin and Jimmy, just on me on my own. <laughs> so it was... <laughs> you, you, you can imagine two Scotsmen trying to attack a Cumbrian. Um, no, in fairness, we had talked for probably... Well, as soon as we really got... Um, got the contract, we asked in 97... Colin always sort of showed an interest, and and in fairness, you know, he a lot of his early driving days was was in a Ford as well. So yeah, and Jimmy spent a lot of time in Ford. So they'd always been, and of course, Jimmy and I um, started to compete almost at the same time in 1974. Jimmy's second event and my second event was the same event, which was a Scottish Championship event in Scotland. So, you know, we've always been, uh, been we've known uh, each other for such a long time. So, um, 
And then, of course, um, when we the investment that Ford were making with the, with the Focus, they obviously wanted, you know, because it's the first time that what the Escort had been around for I don't know how many years. So the Ford wanted to make a a big, big commitment to WRC with them, and they wanted to have a uh, they wanted to have Colin in the car. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was as I say, there was some interesting times during the negotiation with Colin and Jimmy. Um, but um, but yeah, we, we we got there in the end. Um, I always remember they were on uh, one rally in '98. It was. And Colin must have been following, I think, Yuha on a road section. And the next thing I got a, uh, a call from Colin during the rally. And uh, he said, I, he said, we're just following Yuha on the road. But he said, the uh, exhaust pipe is too small on this Escort. If I'm going to drive a Focus, you need to make sure it's got a big exhaust pipe. On the rally, he decides to tell you this. He decided to tell me this on the rally somewhere on night. I can't remember which rally it was, but it was some rally in night. So I said, that's an easy fix, Colin. You can be assured you will have a big diameter exhaust pipe. <laughs> Those were incredible years. Um, and, you know, every every driver that has, has been with you in your team, there's always some incredible stories to tell. And you seem to create incredible bonds with them it's not just you as a team manager and them as a driver there's a friendship there there's there's more than that I mean yeah we've we've seen you shout at people and I've heard legendary stories of you having a real <laughs> go at a lot of people um but you do have these incredible <laughs> friendships I'm sure there was there was quite a lot of shouting with, with Mr McRae as well I, no it wasn't too bad to be honest I mean um yeah there was the odd moment but no, not um, in all honesty. Um, no, it was always a pretty sound relationship, to be honest. I think it yeah. was a, a mutual sort of respect. Yeah, that's a good thing. You know, the the team and you personally have seen, you know, such success. And we could be here for hours talking about it all. We're just barely scratching the surface right now. So I'm going to skip through a couple of things and take you on to the mid-2000s to when the Manufacturers' Championship was sealed. 2006, New Zealand. Great times, obviously, and I remember vividly standing outside the little hut where you guys were all inside waiting for the cars to complete the final stage in New Zealand and the reaction and the tears from a lot of you. What a moment that was to, to achieve that with everything you'd put into the sports so far at that point. Yeah, it was, um, to be honest, because it, it, it really all starts back, I think it was 2000 and, uh, 2004 when basically Ford had also, well, they had this, they'd actually decided to withdraw. Where I know I was flying to Japan and, um, of course, there was the big hurricanes and what have you got delayed. I don't know how many hours getting to Japan. Uh, and when I got to Japan, I was and Mark Wilford was waiting for me, with, uh, and he gave me a, basically a press release to say that Ford were withdrawing from WRC. So it's, I don't want to go into all the story, but then I think a lot of people are aware I almost got on an airplane and came straight back again, missed the rally, 
one of the few rallies that I've missed. <laughs> um, uh, but I then managed to sort of get dialogue with the then president of Ford, which was a chap called Lewis Booth, um, and uh, got the opportunity to at least have a discussion and try and find a new way forward. So um, I'm pleased to say that we did find a new way forward. And then, of course, again, it was the, it was, uh, we then developed the next generation of focus. So after being in a situation of, you know, it's, they're going to pull out at, at the end of 2004 to then, you know, design and develop a new car and then winning the championship in 2006. And, of course, the first time for Ford in, was it 27 years or whatever it was. Um, yeah, that definitely goes down as one of the, the special moments in my career. It was special. It was special to watch. And, you know, all the kind of the times you mentioned there, you know, the first time. As a team effort, you know, when you look at it and everyone that was involved, and I remember everyone wearing the T-shirts around the service area that day. What kind of emotions can you remember from that day? in terms of, you know, how much pride you must have been feeling? Yeah, I've, I must admit, there's probably been, um, there's been other events where I've definitely been more emotional. I think, um, I think it was just the sheer joy, the, the sheer satisfaction of, mm. um, of, of achieving that, you know, something that Ford had never had for that, that period of time. And of course, having, Richard Parry Jones there as well, who'd been very instrumental, to be honest, in, uh, in the programme coming to us back in, back in 1996. You know, it was just fantastic to have him there as well on that occasion when we, when we clinched the title. Um, and then, of course, you know, Marcus just um, was just such a great driver as well and such great spirit and he showed... Uh, he did an incredible well it, it, even me they both did a fantastic job for me that year. it's just an incredible feeling we'll come back to the fins you mentioned there is events where you've been more emotional at what ones can you pick out then where it's really hit malcolm wilson in the heart i think um probably most of them have been with seb yeah to be honest why do you think that is yeah because I was, I, um, I think at the end of the day, I, you know, I was so keen and so determined to try and get him, was it 2011? Mm. Um, and then, of course, sadly, then Ford withdrew at the end of 2012, so it must have been for 2013, I tried to get him. So, um, and then, you know, that opportunity, um, you know, sadly, when VW decided to withdraw and uh, and of course, I just felt that my guys had done such an incredible job here with the 2017 car. And you know, you got to remember, it was a that was a complete clean sheet of paper. You know, that our 2012 WRC car was which really just evolved from the Super 2000. So this was a complete new car, and the guys had just done such an incredible job. And then when that opportunity came to get Seb, um, I had to have it because I just felt my guys here just built such an incredible car and then to to get that all coming together and then to get seven julian um and then to go and win monte carlo on your first <laughs> event um yeah i think you know how emotional i get so yeah but then of course you know the real the ultimate was that 15 minutes on on wales rally gb 
you know, when all three, um, everything came together. You know, Elvin won the rally, Seb won the driver, and we won the manufacturers all within 15 minutes. That's, that was quite an emotional moment. Yeah, I can imagine it was. Let me talk about Sebastian Auger for a minute, because I, I see you as pretty similar people, especially in, in the ways of determination and focus. So trying to get Sebastian Auger to be part of your team and crucially negotiate with Sebastian Auger, who I hear is a absolute demon negotiator. How difficult was it to get him? How difficult was it to woo him? And how much did he push you on the negotiation table? Well, the best way to sum up how tough a negotiator is, I told him when he retires, he's coming to run M Sport because I know M Sport would be in safe hands. <laughs> if he was running, I know that M Sport would survive for many years. <laughs> Do you think you've got a similar character to him, though? Do you see kind of similarities between the two of you? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't, yeah. I mean, he's. Let's be honest. He's a very, very determined character, but he's also very professional and very, very clever. Um, so, yeah, don't get me wrong. I've definitely got, I think, similar sort of determination. But, mm. um, but he's he's got the whole package. What was it like when he first visited M Sport? And did he did he come back in the day, as in back in two thousand and eleven? Did he come then or not? I can't remember. You're going to have to refresh my memory. I'm trying to think. No, I don't think he came to M Sport in 2011, 2012. I'll give you another little secret. The other Seb did. No, I, I was going to say, I'd heard Loeb had been. I'd heard Loeb had been to the, the facility up to Dovenby Hall. And that you'd, well, you tried to bag him. Obviously, that didn't happen. Well, he's still competing right now, though, isn't he? He's still effectively available. Yeah. Uh, but sadly, we won't be in a position to put pen to paper. <laughs> what was OGA's first visit like then? Did, you know, talk me through it, Malcolm. You invite a driver to come up. Does Elaine cook dinner? Is the wine out? What goes on? Give us an insight. We all want to know. Um, it depends on the on the driver, but yeah, the, the good wine can come out, <laughs> and then the food, yeah. Um, no, it, it just depends. There's no, there's no two situations the same. Okay. Uh, I mean, to be honest, the first Seb, first of all, he came. You know, uh, I wanted him before we even got into negotiation uh, for for 2017. I wanted him to to sort of come and drive the car because there's no point if I if if even sitting down to negotiate if I, if I didn't feel that he was confident and happy with the car. So I think that year I missed Australia. Uh, to concentrate on trying to pull things together so that if things did work out, then uh, I could then offer him a, a financial package. So I think he flew straight back in from Australia um, mm. and tested the car and basically then proclaimed himself to be sort of happy with the, with the, with the package um, because he'd obviously been driving the, the VW as well. So he had a, he had a, he had a good benchmark mm. to, go, to go off. Um, and then after that, yeah, we um, we basically um, just did the negotiations. So I didn't come to Cumbria for that, to be honest. The majority of that was done over the phone. But then I think it was before the season kicked off. Then, then uh, yeah, then they, they they did come to the 
factory and then of course that's when um, the relationship probably got stronger because then he he likes good wine as well so um, and of course if you look after your drivers with good wine then they're going to do a good job for you <laughs> do you know what i remember the the rally that you're talking about when you won um the drivers the manufacturers elvin won the rally seb had some kind of bet with you about a nice bottle of wine possibly a chateau petrus and I took a series of pictures of you as, as you came off the, the press conference stage of you hilariously laughing and Seb doing a lot of this up to his lips. So he'd obviously won this bottle of wine from you. No, I said I would open one. So, ah. but, so that meant he had, so he had to come for dinner before I think it was the start of the next season. Okay, I so see. So we had, yeah, we opened, uh, yeah, that, that was an expensive night for me, actually. <laughs> I can imagine it was. I can imagine it was. So, you know, when you look, I, I, I hate saying when you look back because there's still so much ahead, but you've had so many great years and so many great drivers. But would you say then the Ogier years stand out for you because of the achievements? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I've had, as, as you know, I've been so fortunate to work with, well, most of the best drivers in the world, uh, certainly in the last 20 years. So, um, but to be honest, the combination of um, Seb and Julian and what they achieved with us is, is the one that really stands out for me. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, all the others, some great guys and Carlos is the Miko, I mean, you know, fantastic and they've all done great jobs for us. But, you mm. know, what we achieved together in those two years with, uh, with Sebastian was just quite remarkable. But the whole the, the team as well, you know, Oit and Elvin. It was just it was the dream team. Yeah. Um, and if you think if you think now, you know, the three three of the best drivers in the world. That was and one of the questions. We had them all. You know, we had them all in in the same team. Okay, at different points in the career, but if you look now where they're all where they're all at, then. And then of course we've had Thierry as well. So. You you have I mean. I've loved watching, you know, young drivers kind of grow under your tutoring over the years. And you've always been able to pinpoint talent. It's always, if Malcolm Wilson's got his eye on this guy, he's got to be special. Um, there was one of the questions actually. Right. <laughs> well, maybe there was some were a bit off, but the majority, you've got to say, the majority were bang on. Someone actually messaged in a question saying, if you could pick any three drivers, in who are current to make up your dream team who would they be right now would it be Ogier, Tanak and Evans then absolutely 100% yeah it's a pretty dream team considering Evans's start to this season as well and obviously Oit is current world champion that was a very nice touch as well from the whole M Sport team when you look back to Spain last year when Oit won his championship to come out onto the road onto the service road and to congratulate him because you know you had brought him on there'd been there'd been tantrums along the way he'd been fired he'd come back but he'd learnt his trade with M Sport it was a really nice thing to see everyone out celebrating his victory yeah I mean yeah as you know we had a we had a difficult road with with <laughs> it took a long time to to get him there but I never doubted that you know, he always had, he always had the speed and that is the that's the vital ingredient um, and you know, I, I really feel that that opportunity they had to be in the same team as 
said, um, you know, it will probably be, he might not uh, accept it, but I think he learned, he learned so much that year, along with Elvin, I think, you know, I said to them both, you know, it's an incredible opportunity for you guys to, to learn from the best in the world. And I, and I genuinely believe that, you know, they probably won't want to admit, but I, I genuinely believe they both learned a lot in that mm. 2017 season. Yeah, incredible seasons uh, and in incredible times. I'm going to turn to some questions that we've had from social media because so many people have been in touch. I want to say to thank you to everyone on Twitter and Instagram who have been messaging in questions for you. We're never going to be able to go through all of them, so I've selected some for you. And the first one is from uh, former world champion co-driver Robert Reed, who says... Can you ask Malcolm if you can remember the time when Richard helpfully, well, him and Richard, helpfully tried to point out that you'd gone the wrong way on the Scottish Rally Recce in 93 at Schoon Palace. Um, you didn't listen, I don't think, and then you came across a blocked off junction. Do you remember this, Mr. Wilson? Ooh, Robert's got a better memory than me, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> On the 93, 93 Scottish? 93 Scottish rally, yeah. You've gone the wrong way on recce and they try to helpfully point out to you that you had gone the wrong way, but I don't think you paid any attention. And then you came up against a blocked off junction. Well, thank Robert very much, <laughs> but I can't remember it. <laughs> Probably a good thing that that is wiped from your memory. Uh, okay. <laughs> This one then is quite a, you know, it's a big one. Um, how do you see the future of the sport evolving as we move forward? Which is obviously a lot that's being talked about right now. To be honest, Bex, I think at the moment, I don't think anybody can predict that because mm. I think the world is going to be a different, different place. Um, the only thing I can tell you is, is obviously, you know, we, we're definitely working towards 2022 the new regulation car um, and the, the, the priority for me from certainly from the M Sport perspective business point of view is that you know we um, we need to have the WRC cars being able to compete at any level for us to be able to stand any chance to stay in WRC at the highest level so mm -hmm. that's an important um, aspect for me um, these rally, I, I think rallies will probably end up getting shorter um, will that be good? Will that be bad? I, I genuinely, I, I, I really don't know. Um, mm. I think there's a lot of good other categories coming with um, with the R3 and obviously R5 has been a big success for, uh, for, for a lot of manufacturers. I think R3 will also be really successful as well. So um, I think if we can get out of the very difficult situation that we're in, which is, I think it's going to take, personally, I think it's probably going to take five years to get the economy back to where where we were before yeah. before all this kicked off. Um, but I'm sure that, you know, there's still going to be a big interest in rally. Okay, more questions. Um... Brace yourself for this one. Brace yourself. We haven't talked about this driver a lot, actually. I think we could dedicate a whole podcast, you and I, just to Yari Matti Latvala and his time with your team. Brace. P 
Poland 2009, that final stage, uh, one of our Finns is asking, what were your real thoughts on that final stage? And for anyone who's listening and doesn't know what happened, Miko and Yari Mati were in a one and two position and Yari Mati crashed on the final super special stage in Poland, which is right next to the service park. So the whole team pretty much had filtered over to go and watch the final stage and watch Yari Mati put it into a barrier. Tough moments at the time. Now we can look back and kind of smile at it, but my goodness, it was raw then. What were you feeling when that happened, Malcolm? Yeah, that's definitely goes down as one of my worst moments. I think <laughs> in the whole time I've been, you know, to be there and, uh, you know, yeah, this, if it's a fin, this, you just need to know this. I mean, literally, um, you know, we discussed it even before they went into the stage because the promoter, um, basically, because Miko and Yari were running together, Mm-hmm. So the promoter wanted Miko to make sure that he came off the stage first because he was the winner of the rally. So, of course, I remember going to Yari and saying, look, Yari, I need you to, you know, to finish second behind Miko. Miko has to to finish first here to come over the line first. So he's, you know, he's, he's the winner of the rally. Mm. So make sure that, you know, you're not, you don't beat Miko. And I remember I was leaning in from the co-driver's side of the door when I was telling him, and he leaned across and he said, yeah, but maybe I can just have fastest time here. And I said, Yari, no, you do not have fastest time. You must finish behind Miko. And yeah, uh, I'm sure he could probably have heard me shouting. That guy could probably have heard me shouting in Finland because that is the one time when I really, really, really did lose it to be honest Um, yeah yeah I can remember being nervous having to interview you in the press conference after it wondering what kind of mood you would be in after it because it was you know yeah you could have walked away with a perfect result there but Yari Matty got the hairdryer he certainly got the hairdryer um yeah in his room afterwards it was very, very uh, tense time, should we say. Yeah, I can I imagine. Think I, had, I, think, I think I had to pay for some broken furniture in his bedroom. <laughs> it was that bad. Really? Wow. Not a rock and roll it type, throw the room around. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Definitely real hair dryer treatment. I would have loved to have been on the fly on the wall to see that in a way. And in a way, I wouldn't have, because I can imagine it wasn't nice. But Yari Matty, although... well. Yeah, well Yari being Yari, I'm sure Yari would tell you <laughs> what it was like. Do you know what? He is so honest and open. He probably would. Yeah, he, would. he would. He would. Let's talk about him just a little bit before I move on to some more questions. And I promise I will let you go then. Because he's another one that came in right at the start of his career with you. I remember him turning up at Rally GB back in uh, 2002, maybe, looking like Harry Potter, little round glasses. And, you know, he plied his trade with you and he moved on. He did production, blah, blah, blah. He, but he was with you for the majority. What was it like with Yari Matty? Because he's, he's always, he's never quite been there. He's had brilliant pace. He's super quick, but it's never all come together for him. Why is that? Yeah, it's very sad because he'll be the fastest driver and the, the driver with the most fastest times to never, to never win a world championship. Yeah. 
the you know there's as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I always felt that you know he he had the ability, he should have been world champion, and it's never happened. Sadly, uh, too many small sort of mistakes, and um, yeah, you needed to, you know, you need a, a very strong car for Yari Matu. It needs to be. Um, he could always seem to do a little bit more damage than anybody else could ever do. Yeah. Yeah, we've certainly seen that over the years. Uh, Yari Matty, he is such a great character and you cannot help but like Yari Matty. He is, no, he is, he's a one-off. It's so sad that he's, yeah, it's so sad that he's never been uh, world champion. Yeah, it is. Everything, yes. Another Finn I'm being asked about... Um, and this is from one of our Italian fans who says, how close were you to signing Kale Rovenpera? Were you in the mix there, Malcolm? Uh, yeah, I, we, I was. And in fantasy, he came and tested in our five car here uh, in Greystoke. Um, but, yeah, we... we uh, I think he's... His um, path was mapped out before, um, before we even sort of let him drive our car. To be honest, um, okay. Yeah, it would have been good to have him in the car, but uh, and yeah, in fairness, we did talk about doing a few rallies, but never really um, materialised into obviously to to where he's at now. Another question you might need to brace yourself for here. God, they're cutting these questions. They're proper journalists out there asking right now. Do you have any regret at not implementing team orders in 2007 through to nine, especially the year Miko lost by one point? Probably, if you look back now, yes, but to be honest, at the time, no. And, and I haven't, it's not something that I even think about at the end of the day. Um, you're right. I think um, you, you look at it. I think I, uh, at the time, I you know I looked at it probably from a driver's point of view. You know, I think we're obviously the guys referring to Sardinia between Nico yeah. and uh, Yari, where, Yari, where Matthew, I let yeah. Yari, Yari Matthew win. Uh, probably now, if you look back at what happened, what Yari Matthew, because Yari Matthew cost us the championship in Poland. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Probably if I'd had Poland before um, Sardinia, then I might have had a different view on it. <laughs> These kind of regrets don't keep you awake at night, though, Malcolm. No, do you have anything that does? Any niggles over things that have happened that, that you, you know, keep you awake? Or are you not that kind of person? No, no, I'm not. Um, yeah, you've got to move on. If you stand still, you're dead. So I'm, I'm a firm believer, yeah. You've maybe made a mistake, but you've just got to you've got to move on. It's no good regretting and you know thinking about it and wishing you'd done this and then done that. Mm. Um, you've just you've got to move on. Lastly, then the family element has been hugely important. Elaine has had such a massive part to play in M Sport, and you talked about your mother earlier competing. Your dad. I remember seeing your mother on event for the first time years and years ago, and thinking, who? is this older lady who's dressed all nice in her Ford kit and she's cleaning tables in the M Sport area and moving things around thinking you know 
what's going on here? And it was your mum. Is it Pearl? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. it's lovely to have such involvement, though, and she obviously has such a huge passion for the sport. Yeah, you should see a collection of uh, news clippings. It's it's would all, <laughs> wouldn't almost fill Dunby, but it would certainly fill a room <laughs> a room here. That's for sure. I mean, she's just got you know every newspaper clipping from the the first time I did anything right through, and even all the stuff now that's. What we're doing with the team, it's just incredible. She still mm. files everything. Um, yeah, I mean, I went in the other night, and this one room is just, she's putting everything into years, and oh, it's just, it's incredible her, uh, her interest in, uh, in the sport. Well, it's a pride in what you've done and also what Matthew has done in rallying and continues to do now at, at his level. Matthew's had quite an incredible career himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, sadly, he's not not um, driving. He'd still love to be driving, but obviously, the situation was that we were in a position to to continue to keep uh, sort of funding it. Um, but you know, now he's looking after Bentley Race Team, and of course, you know, we had tremendous success in Bathurst at the start of this year on uh, winning one of the real classic races. So um, you know, he's getting his satisfaction now out of out of the race inside. Is he as tough a boss as you are, do you think? Uh, I think there's traces of me. I've, <laughs> I've witnessed it at some of the race meetings. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's probably... Well, I've mellowed, so I'm not nothing like what I used to be. <laughs> mellowed, okay. Right, we will be rallying again very shortly, which is, which is great to hear. So M Sport is going to be fully up and running again in preparation for that but also you've got your test track which is when is that going to be ready for for use um yeah so unfortunately unfortunately sorry they were um obviously once all the, the covid kicked off then they were they were off site for i think it was about a month or six weeks but everybody's back now um and i think hopefully the, the completion date will now be the end of october Mm. So hopefully we will be um, test track wise operational by certainly before the end of the year. That is the target. That's great. And in terms of rallying and the fins that you now have on board for the rest of the season, what? I mean, it's very hard to say what's the plan when you can't plan for anything right now. It feels. No, I think yeah, I think I'm, I'm sure I'm like everybody else. We really we just want to try and find a way to get a championship this year. Try to yeah. find a way to get set, at least seven events. Um, but to be honest, I mean, we I just want the two guys to get more experience as, as much as possible. Um, and you know, if if we can get some podiums on these last few rallies, then I'll be very happy. And then you know, look towards hopefully having a. Uh, a calendar that you know we can all enjoy next year and then you know the, the big emphasis from us to be honest at the moment is looking towards 2022 and I just hope I'm in a position to have um, signed some top drivers for 2022 again like we did in 2017 that would be my uh, my goal Oh, I'm already feeling excitement at that prospect again. And I know you will be, because that's what you do, Malcolm Wilson. You pull everything out of the hat every single time. You do. It's, well, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. 
I'd be, you know, if I was you, I'd be pretty pleased with myself right now, to be honest, with everything that you've accomplished. Thank you very much for talking to me. It's been an absolute joy. It's been good to, to visually see you as well. It's nice to see a face that I'm used to seeing every two weeks on a rally. So you Great take care. You get that, get that haircut done. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm looking forward to seeing your hair a bit tidier the next time. Though. Lockdown getting, haircut getting, can't come quick enough. I'm getting it cut on Saturday. Excellent. You'll be tip top the next time I see you. Thank you very much, Malcolm. Thank you, Bexie. Take care. For more great WRC content, head to WRC Plus. For thousands of hours of archive footage, from end of season reviews and onboards, to features on some of the legends of WRC. That is WRCplus.com, the home of WRC action.